This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. President Biden was in Georgia this week making another speech in support of voting rights. For the right to vote and to have that vote counted is democracy's threshold liberty. Without it, nothing is possible. But many voting rights activists are calling it too little, too late. I won't go to a photo op when there's a real fight happening. What's the path ahead for protecting access to the ballot box? And is the president a leader, a bystander, or an obstruction? Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Since the violent January 6th terrorist attack failed to overturn the presidential election results, many Republican leaders have turned to state legislation to make it harder for black and brown voters to make their voices heard at the ballot box. 19 states, 19 states have passed voting restriction laws since then with more under consideration. That's a threat to much of the Democratic Party base and American democracy in general. It also affects President Biden's reelection hopes. And as the president pointed out in his speech in Georgia this week, this affects democracy itself. That's why we're here today, to stand against the forces in America that value power over principle. Forces that attempted a coup, a coup against the legally expressed will of the American people by sowing doubt, inventing charges of fraud, and seeking to steal the 2020 election from the people. They want chaos to reign. We want the people to rule. But many of the activists who helped lift Biden to victory are unimpressed with the administration's efforts to support their work. So what's next for efforts for protecting voting rights and who's leading them? Joining us to talk about it is Inse Ufat. She's the CEO of the New Georgia Project, an organization that helped bring hundreds of thousands of new voters to the rolls in Georgia and turn the state blue in 2020. Inse Ufat, thanks for joining us on A Word today. Thanks for having me, Dr. J. How are you? I am alive and black. <laughs> you heard President Biden's remarks this week, and I'm, I just want to get straight to this. What was good? What was bad? And why didn't you attend? What was good is a, a final like acknowledgement and recognition about the urgency of this moment, a recognition, a clarity that there is nothing more important to passing his domestic and foreign policy agenda. Nothing more important than getting voting rights passed and, and expanding federal protections for voting rights because ain't nothing moving if we can't uh, secure and guarantee that the will of the people is reflected in the results of our elections. And I heard my president clearly articulate that. What was bad, I think, was Ebenezer Bastard Church. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> terrible. I was like, I think it was such a solemn moment. People were not going to focus on that, but I was like, he just cussed it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we visited the sacred Ebenezer Bastard Church and paused to pray at the crypt of Dr. and Mrs. King and spent time with their family. So we were listening. I was hanging on every word. I definitely heard Ebenezer Bastard Church. I also heard President Harris, but I'm not going to hold you. You did not attend. 
Biden speech this week at Morehouse. Was that because you were busy? Did you have a schedule conflict or were you actively not attending in order to make a point? I, there, I had competing professional obligations that made it impossible for me to attend. Those competing professional obligations is the fact that Georgia Republicans have lost their damn minds and are actively working to dismantle our elections infrastructure, that we are in the middle of a live and active threat. All of us make decisions. All of us make choices every day. And I had to weigh the decision between the value of a photo op and basically putting the pieces in play that are necessary in order to protect our elections and to protect our people and protect our work, right? I think that people don't understand the kind of venom that continues to be fomented on the right, that there are not only elected officials, but in the federal government, but in state governments all over the country that don't believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate president, that believe that the elections were stolen, that believe that we are in a crisis moment for American democracy, and they may have to take up arms to like take the country back, right? Like that is happening right now. And it's an academic discussion for a lot of people, an intellectual debate for a lot of people. This is our real life, our real experience, our real lived experience. There are 159 counties in Georgia, uh, which means there are 159 election kings and queens, right? Board of elections officials all over the state. Black county election officials, chiefs, are being unceremoniously, unilaterally dismissed all over the state of Georgia, right? Lincoln County in Georgia, one of the Black Belt counties, Eight polling locations currently, they're preparing to close seven of them. And the one that they're leaving open, obviously, is on the white side of town, where almost 40% of the voters in this county are black. And they are going to consolidate down to one polling location for the entire county on the white side of town because segregation is still alive. So there are organizers on the ground collecting signatures right now to block that from happening. Legislative sessions started on Monday in Georgia. They came out the gate. Ha! Not only <laughs> did we pass Senate Bill 202 to make it more difficult for y'all to vote, but oh, by the way, we're going to get rid of drop boxes in 2022. People do not understand that if we do not have urgent action, that not only could we see that impact play out on, in the midterms, it, we could not have a Congress seated by the end of the year because there are 19 states that have passed these anti-voting bills that they've been introduced in 48, but 19 states have passed them, right? And so if half of those 19 states are thrown into chaos with the counting and the certification of their elections, we might not have a Congress by the end of the year. These threats are real and active. And if the president didn't come with a plan and want I, again, make choices about how I use my time as an organizer. There are 10 things that I could have been doing other than standing in the coal at Morehouse for six hours to hear our president say Ebenezer Batstew Church. <laughs> what were you guys asking the administration for before they came down? And have you heard anything from the Biden administration? I mean, you know, I, I, it was several organizations that put together these asks. Yes. So one, what we're asking for is to get rid of the filibuster. I think that people don't remember that this is sort of a new position. So he forcefully and both vocally articulated that we need to get rid of the filibuster in his speech. Right. So, yay, congratulations. That is that actually represents movement that he was not there and had not been there for several months, despite the fact that we were talking about the tool, the filibuster as a racist tool that doesn't have any real value. He was absolutely not there. And so that fit 
felt like progress. Number one. Number two, we passed the For the People Act and passed the John Lewin Voting Rights Act. People act like they don't know what we've been asking for. People act like we have not been consistent this entire time, right? That passed the Voting Rights Act and set a, a floor for federal elections, right? That this current version of the Republican Party, this current sort of Republican criminal caucus uh, that has decided to be the party of no, that, you know, one, nearly 200 of them refuse to certify the electoral college vote. Many of them are apologists for the January 6th insurrectionists, where there was a failed murder plot to kill the vice president of the United States, right? And those folks are actively in office right now, right? So, not now, but right now, we absolutely need to do something. Our governor just signed into law these trash maps that are going to bind our hands for the next decade or more if we don't pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, if we don't figure out a way to uh, prevent state legislators and bad actors from shoving these gerrymandered maps down our throats. So get rid of the filibuster and communicate a plan for passage of the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on activist efforts to secure voting rights. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the campaign to protect voting rights with Ense Ufa of the New Georgia Project. So, Ense, I want to get into this because this is this is both an online conversation and some media pundits conversation. You are an activist on the ground. You're the person knocking on doors. You're the person who helped get people out in 2018 and 2020 as part of many, many organizations throughout the Sun Belt, throughout Georgia, throughout Alabama, throughout Florida who've done this. And... Yet you get pushback from some Democratic loyalists who say, well, what's your plan? Can't you do math? Joe Biden can't do anything about Kristen Cinema. Joe Biden can't do anything uh, about Joe Manchin. We just need to elect more senators. That's the problem. You guys aren't helping. What is your response to that? What are some things that you know that Joe Biden could do, even if the filibuster can't be changed, that could at least give you guys a fighting chance this fall? One, well, my initial sort of reaction is always kiss my ass because, I mean, the work that we do is facing the people. We don't exist to elect Democrats, right? 
I don't do this work so that I can get invited to the group chat or so that I can then get invited to the White House Christmas party. I'm accountable to a base of people that have clear demands about what it is that they want. And again, these are the same folks that reached out to us that were thanking black women and thanking Georgia organizers and high-fiving us when we were talking about, you know, building power. We're talking about doing innovative voter education things. When we were talking about an agenda for working families that didn't assume that working families was code for white working class folks, that when we talk about working families that included people of color, that when we have a clarity about who we are and what it is that we want, what it is that we're organizing for, it is super convenient on the campaign trail, right? Because you can come to Georgia and know that there are people there that can move thousands of folks with short notice, right? And that have registered hundreds of thousands of folks to vote and that can mobilize millions given the time and resources, right? That is convenient. You love that shit. It was sexy, right? On the campaign trail, you wanted to see it, but we kept that same energy. We were consistent. We are consistent now that it is time to govern. What did you think this was? I think that, you know, what we learned from Obama, quite frankly, um, and previous presidents before is that you don't take your foot off of the gas after election day. That in fact, that is actually when the real work begins. But see, that was rhetorical in previous administrations. That was just some slick shit that people like to say, right? But this is what we are actually doing. In fact, we felt like our work began after our friends, President Biden and Vice President Harris were inaugurated. And so we are keeping our word to ourselves and to each other and to the communities that we organize with. That's what you see right now. And I don't think that people are used to young people and black people um, having the courage of their convictions and standing tall. Do you think that Vice President Harris has a different and unique role that she can play when it comes to moving this legislation? Because Joe Biden is supposed to be the old season guy. He's supposed to be the one who can whip people into shape. What powers can she flex that are different than his when it comes to trying to move this legislation forward? I think that she could be his, um, you know, pop culture translator, right? Keeping this issue alive. Because again, part of it is there's an education piece, right? That folks need to understand why this matters. I think that it's really easy for everyone's eyes to gloss over when we're talking about voting, 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 civil rights, civil rights, civil rights, civil rights, voter suppression, voter suppression, voter suppression. Like it's really easy for people to check out, to tune it out. And so I think that she could absolutely be on a tour around the country, um, communicating with the base, helping to maintain the ties that bind the base to the administration, right? That while Joe Biden is out with his message to the moderates and he's doing the needling, the carrot and the sticking that needs to happen with white moderates in the Senate, that uh, you could be deploying your vice president. So what's and not an anger translator, but uh, again... She could be his pit bull. She can be, you know, his split star. She can be his Rahm Emanuel when it comes to these kinds of issues. 100%. Um, and I think that that's important. But there are so many things that the administration can do in service of this key priority. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on activist efforts to secure voting rights. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about voting rights legislation with Nse Ufot of the New Georgia Project. So what can Joe Biden do right now and what could Joe Biden do as a plan B if filibuster reform dies in the Senate? I think if filibuster reform dies in the Senate, A, there's nothing that stops him from continuing to bring it back. Right. Like there's nothing to stop them from shutting down the government until we figure out what needs to happen with voting and voting rights. Because let me tell you, these corporations like they want their welfare now. You know what I'm saying? Like they absolutely want their welfare. And so I think that he has control of the legislative calendar, the legislative agenda um, as the leader of the party. I mean, he doesn't have control over it, but he's super influential and can organize the House leaders and the Senate leaders to say, you know what? I mean what I say. I'm walking it like I talk it. Ain't nothing moving until we secure voting rights for all Americans, right? So I think that is something that can actually be done. I don't, I'm not a legal scholar. I know you are in community with a lot of people, and I know you have a lot of those kind of folks on. But I imagine that with executive orders, there's a lot that can be done. Like, it's tricky because you're thinking about states um, or elections as mostly a state function, but they're funded. Elections um, infrastructure is funded by the federal government, right? Um, and so thinking about tying up the funding um, as while we wait to figure out, like, again, how we are going to expand federal voting rights protection. I think that there are some things, um, federal holidays, right? Making election a holiday. I think that, you know, it would be annoying and it would be piecemeal and it doesn't go far enough, right? But there are tons of things that could get done if you were forced to be creative. But again, I don't think that we're at plan B yet, right? Because I don't think that we have called the question. I think that there's been a lot of jockeying. I think that there's been a lot of maneuvering. I think that Manchin has been, you know, really uh, been a jerk about it, been like as bad as any, as bad as Bull Connor, as bad as any obstructionist white supremacist elected official that we've met in the past. But I think that we need to call the question and that hasn't happened yet. Um, and so while yes, we definitely, um, as an organizer, as a person that leads and trains organizers, we're always thinking about, you know, scenarios, plans B, C, D, and E, scenario Z, etc. But I think that we have several more moves to make before plan A is exhausted. So I want to do these last few real quick on Georgia specifically. Stacey Abrams has announced, which is, you know, people expected that it was the the field was just like it was just like the Senate race a couple, uh, I guess, almost a year or two years ago, where it's like, you know, people were waiting for her kind of clears the field. It's not clear yet if uh, Stacey Abrams will be facing Brian Kemp again in a round two. Are there credible challenges to Brian Kemp in the Republican primary? Or do you think it'll be Abrams versus Kemp again in a Georgia that, again, has changed significantly demographically, certainly in the Atlanta metro area since the last race in 2018? 
I honestly don't know. I think that it's still really early to tell. David Perdue is suing the Kemp for Governor campaign um, because of some machinations around campaign finance laws that allowed them to raise money earlier than anyone else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that David Perdue is very much a known entity from a known political family in Georgia. I think that um, he doesn't have a job right now. I think that, you know, he looks, I mean, we joke about him coming out of central casting and, and, and that shouldn't matter, but it, it seems like it matters to Republican voters and that, you know, Brian Kemp, who's been caught repeatedly lying about what he knows about COVID, which is particularly insulting to Georgia and Georgia voters, given that he's the only governor in the United States who lives and works within five miles of the CDC. So David Perdue is coming for him, and it is not a um, foregone conclusion that we will see a rematch of the 2018 gubernatorial race. I have to ask this. I consider this to be a bit of sort of a nihilist question, or this is the kind of accelerationist rhetoric that you would hear from certain aspects of the Bernie progressive left in 2016. But there's a strain of thought out there that the only way Democrats, especially nationally, are going to learn their lesson about dragging their feet on voting rights, dragging their feet on some of these critical issues will be for them to lose and lose big. And one, what do you think of that theory? Do you think that if Democrats lose big, that they will learn the lesson they need to learn? Or do you think that given what we're facing from the Republican Party right now, that that's a risk that we can't take? It is absolutely a risk that we can't take. I think that that's why we have primaries. And again, I'm not really, I'm not a defeatist and I'm not a nihilist. Um, and mainly I think it's because I am in community with the folks and the communities that we organize with. So like all of you people, you armchair activists, these folks on Twitter, these folks online, like throwing their hands up, this has real consequences for us. Like the the reason I go so hard about Senate Bill 202 in Georgia, this anti-voting is because it added five new crimes, five new voting crimes. And guess what? We don't have a criminal defense bar that is experienced with our voting laws. Because why? We haven't needed it since the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed. Now they have 1,000 Georgians that are under investigation for voter fraud. And it carries with it a penalty of up to 10 years in prison and $100,000 in fines. And most of those people are people of color. And you know what they're being investigated for? Because in the middle of a pandemic, they applied to vote by mail. They got their ballots, they filled them out, they sent them. But they never got confirmation that their ballots were received and that their votes were counted. So they showed up on election day and tried to vote in person. And now they're facing up to 10 years in prison and $100,000 in fines, right? Like I said, like this is real people. And so for all of you who are like, just let them lose and like we'll come back and lift and fight another day like again that is a privileged position that is a luxury because you know that you're gonna be fine that you are insulated because of choices that you made or like the conditions that you find yourself in but that is not the case for us and the communities that we organize with and so we're gonna keep fighting which is also why we are willing to push the president even when it's uncomfortable even when people were like your president comes 
comes to your town, you show up to the speech. No, this is the president that we have. We don't have another one, right? And we won't have another one for at least another couple of years. And so we're going to stand and fight and organize with the, with the cards that we've been dealt. Thank you so very much. Inse Ufat is the chief of the voting rights group, the New Georgia Project. Thanks for joining us on A Word today. Thanks for having me. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>